Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Lee Stranahan, thank you. It was a privilege for me to meet you last weekend. You're tuned into Radio Stranahan. And now, here's your presenter, Lee Stranahan. Good afternoon, everybody. Lee Stranahan, Radio Stranahan, hi. It's the new year. It was new technical trouble yesterday. I'm done having technical trouble. Let me tell you, every time I try to do the show, here's the thing. The show sounds better when I use a real microphone. I own a real microphone. The show sounds better when I use a real microphone. Right now I'm calling in for my cell phone, but it doesn't screw up when I call in for my cell phone. So you do the math. You do the math. What I think that means, I believe what that means is I'm going to be doing the show from my phone. That's what it means. That's my decision. I've made the decision. I'm done. I may download the show and fix the audio a little bit, then upload it later, that kind of thingy-mabob. But yesterday, it just the Internet conked out on me. So, again, it's better quality, but do what you can. Anyway, we're back. We're back from the new year with a new one-hour format. We are leaner, meaner. And like I say, this is part of an ongoing experiment I'm doing. I definitely am going to be doing the radio show each and every day. Yesterday, I gave myself a, a divot, a gimme, a mulligan. I took a mulligan yesterday. No more mulligans. Today, we're going to be, we're going to be back on and we'll be back on for the rest of the month. As I mentioned before, by the way, we're looking for advertisers. So if you have a product, service, or cause, you would like to reach my audience, not just here on Blog Talk Radio, but also on my morning Stranahan report, also on Twitter. Do me a favor, contact me, lee at stranahan.com, if you want to talk about it. We're not going to take everybody. There's certain products we won't take. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, let's just start there. Unlikely. They're unlikely to call. I might, on second thought, no, I can't have the ice cream. I'm on a diet. That's going well, by the way. Since I spoke to you last, I've been doing the ketogenic diet. My friend, Dr. Nick Bosworth, was on. We had her on to talk about it. We got a lot of interest in that segment, so I'll probably have Dr. Bosworth on again real soon to talk about the ketogenic diet. But as you may know, I'm a type 2 diabetic, and I've gotten my blood sugar down under 100, and I'm on no insulin now. And it's all mainly through a diet change uh, and some exercise. My wife and I... My wife and I go mall walking. I just said that. And I said it without shame. But we go mall walking. Because it's very cold where we live. I'll just put it that way. It's very cold. The the field temperature right now is negative 13 degrees. I think it's actually 5 degrees below zero. But it feels like negative 13. Not that I can tell the difference. Where we live, you don't really want to go walking in that weather. But we got a mall, so we go mall walking, and that's helped. Later this hour, expect to hear from Brandon Darby. I talked to Brandon earlier. Brandon Darby is, of course, the editor of Breitbart, Texas, and he, as we speak, is down on the border. I want to talk to Brandon about border issues. We're less than three weeks away from a Trump administration, and already the Donald the POTUS, 
the president-elect of the United States. POTUS is the president of the United States, apparently. People like saying that ever since West Wing made it popular. But POTUS sort of sounds like an Indian psychedelic. But the POTUS is already shaking things up. We know that. But the House, now this isn't suspicious. The House Republicans last night, in the middle of the night, passed a controversial rules change to change the rules for the Congressional Ethics Committee. Bob Goodlatte, who I like Bob Goodlatte, representative from Virginia, Bob does a lot of good stuff, but Bob was the one behind this. But they may have just pushed him on stage and said, here, you you introduce this bill. Bob Goodlatte was the one behind it. And he says it was to increase due process for people convicted of ethics charges. Was that a big concern for America? I'm not sure. Was America voting this election going, you know, I don't think Congress people get enough of a break. I'm a little worried about injustice for congressmen. Is that what happened? I don't believe. Let me check. Nope, that's not what happened. So Bob Goodlatte introduced that. The House Republicans passed in the middle of the night. People like Nancy Pelosi were screaming their heads off. Other people, Rob Reiner, actor, director, you'll remember him as Meathead from All in the Family last night. Rob Reiner was just blowing his gourd. I taunted him a little bit. He had the good sense to like my taunt because I made a Spinal Tap reference. Rob Reiner directed Spinal Tap, if you didn't know. One of the best comedies of all times. I'm not ashamed to say it. And uh, but Rob Reiner was losing it last night. But lo and behold, who should drop the boom today but the Piotis, Donald Trump, said this should not be Congress's priority. By the way, do you think that Trump's going to get any credit for this? Do you think Democrats are going to go, wait a minute, that's a pretty... That's a pretty bold move on Trump's part. And the Republicans backed down. The House Republicans gave in to authoritarian Putin-like, Hitler-like Donald Trump trying to stop the House Republicans from being slightly more unethical. He stopped them. And again, he's going to get no credit for it. Let's face it. The Democrats are not going to go, well, that was great of Trump. I really, you know, I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming, but that was great. And I think it just shows you why the establishment is so worried about Trump. And you know they are. You know they're petrified. Anyway, as usual, we'll be taking your calls on the show. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. I got to save that one. Hang on. I was going to play one, but I got to save that one for Brandon. Hang on. I'll play this one. Hang on. Uh, Lee Stranahan, Breitbart investigative reporter who is, well, just knows everything. Radio Stranahan. Are you tired of the mainstream media and you want to make a difference? Do you read the newspapers or watch TV and think that you can do better? This is Lee Stranahan, and that's why I started Citizen Journalism School. You can check it out at citizenjournalismschool.com, and you'll see 
why I created a place where you can learn to research, write, promote the stories, make a difference, and make a living doing it. I'd like you to go over to citizenjournalismschool.com right now and sign up for a free course I've got for you. It's called Build Your Media Empire, and the course takes you step-by-step online through the things you need to do to set up the platforms so you can share your voice and your stories. I'll show you how to set up material so you can do writing, podcasting, video. Best of all, it's absolutely free. Go to citizenjournalismschool.com and sign up right now. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. It is eight minutes past the hour. Remember, you can call in to the show and talk to me. And I urge you to do that because I don't get enough callers and I want more because I'm practicing. I sort of let the cat out of the bag there, but this is a practice run for building the Radio Stranahan platform taking it bigger and better places in 2017. That's one of my big resolutions is I'm taking all of my stuff bigger. You can tell that, by the way, if you're subscribing to the Stranahan Report, my daily newsletter. I now, let me tell you my schedule. I'm going to tell you. I now, I get up at 4.45 in the morning. By the way, that's as fun as it sounds. But that's what I have to do to bring you the news and to get my stuff out of the way, to get my writing done at Breitbart, to get my self-researched. I do a lot of research because I am America's finest reporter. And I'm up early in the morning to make you smarter with the Stranahan Report. We have a lot of stuff. We'll be expanding the Stranahan platforms as we move on here. And uh, But that's why we want to take your calls. I'm going to hit this again when we get Brandon on, but just to remind you, just to remind you, so you don't forget, See, I, I hit the button. There we go. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Call us. 619-924-0786. That number again. 619-924-0786. So let's talk about the Russian hacking allegations. This is another story that's blown up. Now, just to set this up, I want to remind you of what the President of the United States said in an address to the nation before the new year, what just happened? Something fell. It's chaos here. Just before, before the new year, I want to remind you what President Obama said. Let's uh, what listen I can to tell him. you is that the intelligence that I've seen gives me great confidence in their assessment that the Russians carried out this hack. Which hack? But I'd, I'd make a larger point, which is not much happens in Russia without Vladimir Putin. This is a pretty uh, hierarchical operation. Now, that was the President of the United States at his last press conference of his presidency. And I'm going to play it again. I want you to hear what he says at the beginning. Listen, because the wording uh, What I can is tell you is that the intelligence that I've seen gives me great confidence in their assessment that the Russians carried out this hack. Great confidence, right? Great confidence. Great confidence is not certainty. Now, that's what he said before he issued sanctions against Russia and expelled 35 Russian diplomats. I think you need more than great confidence. But the same day that the president announced 
the sanctions. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security released a joint paper, and everyone was pointing to it. I, I said, I had the lead story in Breitbart News that day, and they ran the headline I wanted them to run, which is, I said, the president has issued sanctions based on unproven accusations. May I make an epistemological point here? Gesundheit. Epistemology is the branch of philosophy, in case you don't know, because it's not a normal word. It's a word I know because I was going to be a philosophy major at one point, but it's not a normal word. But epistemology is one of the branches of philosophy, like ethics, like metaphysics. Epistemology is the branch of philosophy that deals with how do people know what they know? So allow me to make you smarter here. There's a really important distinction to be drawn between the truth of something and whether the truth of something is proven or not. Does that make sense? So I'll use a a legal example just because it's simple. Somebody gets murdered. They arrest the suspect. Now, in fact, that suspect either murdered the person or didn't. Let's just make it real binary. In fact, the suspect who was arrested either committed the murder or not. That's reality. It's a fact. Does that make sense? Person was shot. The suspect either shot the person or they didn't. Forget extenuating circumstances and all that stuff. I'm just trying to make this real binary. But unless a prosecutor can prove that that person shot the other person. You can't send them to jail, right? You can't put them up in the big house, the Huskow. You can't send them up the river. I think I'm done with the other words for prison. You can't do that. So there's a difference epistemologically, the way we know things, between something being true and something being proven. Now, Either the Russian government was behind the hack of the DNC, or they weren't. Does that make sense? That's either true or false. But that's the question on the table. Epistemologically, just I'm going to keep saying it, Gesundheit. I'm going to keep saying epistemologically so you get used to the word and can throw it around at cocktail parties and impress your barista friends. Epistemologically, though, whether the Russians did the hack or not, what is clear is that the allegations have not been proven publicly. The U.S. government has not proven their case. They've delivered the sentence. Barack Obama, via an executive order, just a few weeks before Donald Trump takes over the White House, decided he was going to expel the diplomats. But whether it's true or not, and I can't sit here and tell you whether it's true or not, but what I can tell you is that it's not proven. They have not presented it. It's certainly not proven to me or any member of the public. They have not presented the proof to me or you or any member of the public yet. So when Obama comes out and says he has high confidence – 
what I can tell you is that the intelligence that I've seen gives me great confidence in their assessment that the Russians carried out this hack. Which hack? So it gives, but I'd, it gives I'd make him. a larger point, which is... Well, I'm not going to let you. Just shush. I didn't mean to be disrespectful to the recording of the president, but... So he's saying, what, from what he's seen, not from what they've shown the public, he has a high degree of confidence. You've got to remember, Barack Obama was an attorney, trained as a lawyer. He knows how to parse the words. He is well aware of the fine, delicate art of Clintonian parsing. So when he says the intelligence he's seen, which is not what you've seen or I've seen, gives him high confidence, he's not saying it's a certainty. He's hedging his bets. That's because the intelligence he's seen does not show him as a slam dunk. It just doesn't. And now what we know is what they've released publicly does not prove the case. And again, I'm not sitting here saying the Russians did or didn't do the hack. I'm saying the president hasn't proven that. Therefore, I have no reason to believe him because that's the only way you can treat statements like that. Now, the interesting thing about this, with the villainizing of Russia, the interesting thing about the villainizing of Russia is that the Democrat grassroots, not the party bosses, because because I expect them to do it. When the Democrats go on message, I expect other Democrats in the hierarchy to go on message. That's just message discipline. I accept that. What's weird to me is that the grassroots have also gone right along with this. Now, that's weird. Because these grassroots people, the Democrat grassroots people, many of them are the people who called BS on the claims about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They said, you know, the CIA is saying we have WMDs, but I haven't seen the proof. And at least according to the POTUS, according to Donald Trump, they were right. Donald Trump has said... He doesn't trust the CIA. Now, one of the things that Democrats are doing is calling anybody who disagrees with the CIA a traitor. I mean, literally calling him a traitor. This is a bizarre turn of events. So recently on my podcast, Making the News, I spoke with Glenn Greenwald, left-wing journalist who I've had a lot of criticism of in the past. And what Glenn Greenwald said was very interesting, and I'll play it for you right after this very short break. You're listening to Radio Strand AM. And it's 19 minutes. By all first mention, uh, Lee Stranahan. Cuddly. He's my friend. Yeah, he got thrown out of the club. (laughs) For reporting stories that were being suppressed. Radio Stranahan. Lee Stranahan, Radio Stranahan, it is 20 minutes past the hour right now. I mentioned right before the break that I spoke with Glenn Greenwald just before Christmas. I think that's when it was, just before Christmas. The podcast is up on Making the News. It's up on SoundCloud. It's up on iTunes. But I spoke to Glenn Greenwald, and I asked him specifically 
about the Democrats going along with what the administration's saying, hook, line, and sinker. It's a very interesting psychological phenomenon. Let me tell you a brief excerpt from my interview with, with Glenn Greenwald. Here's what Glenn said. Again, this is a guy who's a liberal. Here's what he said about the way the Democrats are dealing okay, with these so accusations. Here is critical so to, to that question. So, But let me take a step back for a minute on that. So there's so many ironies to what has happened with regard to Russia and how Democrats have, have demagogued it this year. One huge irony is that forever the script was totally reversed during the Cold War when the go-to playbook that Republicans used against liberals and against Democrats was to say that they were too sympathetic to Russia, that they were acting as useful stooges of the Kremlin, equating a desire for better relations with Russia with some sort of disloyalty. Obviously, it reached its peak with McCarthyism, which most people now agree went way too far, even people on the right. But even throughout you know, the rest of the Cold War, that was kind of a, a left-right um, dispute. And now that has been completely turned around. Um, I, not a day goes by, literally not a day goes by, when I'm not repeatedly accused of being on Putin's payroll, of being a Russian agent, of being a Kremlin stooge, all of those things. The same is true of anyone who challenges the Democratic Party, whether it's from the left or from the right. Every person who's an adversary of the Democratic Party gets that accusation. Just two days ago, Howard Dean went on Twitter and out of nowhere just said, I think it'd be really interesting to find out if the Intercept receives money from Russia and Iran. That's just the low-life tactics that Democrats sort of have reached for. And that is Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept. Glenn Greenwald, the journalist behind the Edward Snowden story. A guy who, if someone called him a Kremlin stooge, this is the wrong time to do it. Maybe a few years ago would be a good time to call him a Kremlin stooge. And when Brandon Darby comes on later in the show, Brandon Darby's also been called a Kremlin stooge by no lesser a person than Evan McMullen, the erstwhile presidential spoiler. Do you remember Evan McMullen? Trump called McMuffin. I'm not going to do that because it's immature. But you'll remember Evan McMullen. He does have a receding hairline. I don't know how that relates, but he does have one. But Evan McMullen called Brandon Darby a Kremlin stooge, basically. That'll be coming up when Brandon comes on the show. But I want to point out how the script has flipped on this. This is something I'll be writing about at Breitbart as well. That's a a coming story. Now, interestingly enough, after the report came out, the Washington Post did a story where they reported the the grid, the power grid in Vermont had been hacked by Russia. Then they had to come out and retract that story for one simple reason. It wasn't true. Now, let's hearken back to that press conference. I just want to allow me to hearken. Let's hearken back to the press conference. What Barack Obama said in the press conference, aside from talking about the clip I played earlier about how the Russians are, he has high confidence that they're responsible. He also had something to say about another topic in the news. Let's listen to Barack Obama talk about fake news. I wonder what the president has to say if about that. Fake news that's being released by some foreign government is almost identical to 
reports that are being issued through partisan news venues, then it's not surprising that that foreign propaganda will have a greater effect because it doesn't seem that far-fetched compared to some of the other stuff that folks are hearing from domestic uh, propagandists. Domestic propaganda. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about domestic propaganda, Mr. President. Let's just play that beginning again. If fake news that's being released by some foreign government by some government is keep it there. almost identical to reports that are being issued through partisan news venues. God, he's, he is so painful to listen to there. He's talking about one word a minute. So what he's saying is if fake news comes out from a government, he says foreign, and it's bolstered by fake news coming out from a media outlet, like, for instance, the fake news that we have proven that Russia was behind the attacks. That's fake news. So if the government comes out and says, we're going to sanction Russia because we know for sure we're sanctioning them, we know for sure that they hacked the DNC, and we're going to kick out 35 ambassadors, Kremlin officials, that sort of thing, from the U.S. We're going to take that action. If it's bolstered by, let's say, the Washington Post, it has more of an impact. Well, that's true. I agree with the president there. Now, he's trying to blame it on Russia and foreign news agencies. I'm saying something very different. I'm saying the Washington Post bolstered the fake reporting because I was in – I've been paying attention to this story. I've been paying close attention to this story. People aren't talking about – they want to talk about Russia right now. They're not talking about Saudi Arabia. When they talk about the Syrian situation, I barely ever hear anybody talk about Saudi Arabia, who is clearly behind the Saudi Arabian war with both funding and weapons. Right? We know that. We know the CIA has been bolstering Syria. And they're the ones behind this report. I would argue the CIA is kind of a foreign government. Have I crossed the line? I don't think so. And there's history. There's history, and it's worth talking about. The history here is important. Let's go back to what's formed our relationship with the Soviet Union. Let's go back to still modern history. Let's go back to the Reagan era. In the Reagan era, who was fighting the Soviet Union in Afghanistan? And the answer is the Mujahideen, the jihadists. Jihadists were flooding in to Afghanistan from all around the world, and they were fighting the Soviet Union. Now, remember... Now, I know if you're a conservative, you're probably a Reagan fan, and I am too in a lot of ways. I'm a Reagan fan. 
So let's not talk about Reagan as setting the policy here. Let's, let me show you a line. This is how I make you smarter. Let me show you a line between what happened there. Who was the one pushing that? And the answer is the Central Intelligence Agency. The CIA were the ones pushing us to fight against Russia and on the side of the jihadist. Think about this. The CIA was pushing the United States to be on the side of the jihadist in Afghanistan, the Mujahideen. This is where al-Qaeda was formed, by the way. I've talked about this many times before. But al-Qaeda was formed in a house in Peshawar, Pakistan, the office of the Muslim World League, a Saudi charity. And they were, at the time, in Peshawar, Pakistan, what was called al-Qaeda, they were supported by the CIA and the United States because they were part of this jihadist move. Now, that was Afghanistan. How did that work out? didn't work out that well. Now we have a parallel situation in Syria where the CIA has been supporting the jihadists trying to overthrow Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Why are we supporting those guys and not Assad? You tell me. It's not that one group is violent, the other is not violent. They're both fairly violent. If you want to come in and say, I don't think we should be supporting anybody, you can make that case, and I believe you. But I just want to be realistic. It's the same people. It's the same foreign government. It's the CIA, non-elected officials. I'll have more to say about this after the break. It's 30 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Radio Australia AM. No false modesty, please, Lee. Forget the Pulitzers. You know, you should be getting a, a, a global prize for what you've been doing because it's really something that nobody else has done and, and you're really leading the way. Radio Stranahan. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. And now joining us on the line from the border, not the restaurant on the border, different, actually on the border, my friend, the... Now, Brandon, you're now the – what's yes. your official title with Breitbart uh, – editor-in-chief of Breitbart, Texas, is that correct? Um, it is. I, I really – I mean, you know, my style is I, I really – as long as people are factual and, and it's reasonable, um, I really let the writers, you know, pursue their, their – the things they're passionate about at this point, you know, provided it's reasonably newsworthy. And everyone on the team really is doing newsworthy stuff. So uh, the, the the title is editor in chief, and manage, I mean it's really a long one: managing director and editing editor in chief, or whatever. But I just kind of go with uh, you know editor is fine. No, it's El Jefe. Is that anything you use? El Jefe. You you could call me El Jefe. No. It's it's work. Um, the yep. thing is, is like. Uh, you know, we mainly focus on border issues, and, and, and then we get off on other issues, too, but we're very narrative-driven. Uh, we're not covering all the news in Texas that's fit to print. We, co- we cover certain things, you know, and, um, and certain things, the certain things we cover, we cover very well. Like, our Cartel Chronicles has really consumed a lot of my time and a lot of my attention in the last year or so. 
Yeah, and that's as we talked about before, that's really a pretty radical journalistic enterprise there. Uh, I've said it before, and it's true. If it were the Washington Post and the New York Times launching the Cartel Chronicles, they would have won awards for it, right? They would have gotten the Polk Award or a Pulitzer or something like like that. You agree? Here's the thing, too. I not, not I'm not complaining about our employer. I don't want to make it seem like I'm I'm complaining about them, but they have never gone for awards. Like those to to win journalistic awards, you need to kind of submit stories for them, and um, they've just never done it. I've talked to Larry about this. Larry Solot, the CEO of Breitbart. They've never pursued that, right? Um, which I think right. is too bad in, in some ways. Do you agree with me that, that I think they should just start submitting? I don't know if we're going to win. I don't. But, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that you have to submit. I don't know. I didn't know how that works, Lee. I just kind of have come to the conclusion, you know, when I look at, I mean, every so often, you know, like, like for instance, the Washington Post, uh, you know, they – they did this story and they mentioned our cartel chronicles about reporters reporting from dangerous spaces. And, and they were very, very uh, kind towards our cartel chronicle. And then a few months later, they're writing about Bannon and they're attacking Breitbart news as, you know, a whole class, just a whole, and it was just kind of like, what the hell? I just got, I've gotten to a place where I don't expect <coughs> other journalists to, um, or other, uh, you know, uh, journalistic bodies to appreciate uh, what I do and what my team does, I, I I know that I know that secretly. I mean, to be really honest, it must when you have these guys who act like and they say things like they're they're bringing a voice to the voiceless and yada yada yada, right? And and then they see it's Breitbart is the only one helping the voiceless in northern Mexico and and the states that are co- completely controlled by Los Zetas cartel and and by the Gulf cartel, and it, it's it's just Breitbart doing that work, right? And um, and they they see that, and I know I know they will never admit it, but I know that it probably puts them to shame. I would imagine when they look at our journalism, they probably feel like they you know walked in on a guy who was naked, like who had like a a penis that was like three times as large as theirs, and they're, they feel insecure now. They would have to feel that way because we are actually doing something to bring a voice to citizen journalists in a region that's very unsafe, and and they're not doing anything. They're ignoring the issue completely. In the same way that, you know, I was getting into this conversation last night. I interviewed uh, uh, Michael Kelly, an independent journalist who I, I follow on Twitter. I like Michael. He has some things to say about the work you and I did on Occupy Wall Street, by the way. He was kind of critical. But, but we had a good discussion. You know, it, it's for the podcast. And, and who, was, who is that? We, who is that? Michael, Ke- Michael Kelly. He's written for uh, a ton. He's written for everything from Reason to The Nation to Mother Jones. I, I, know, I know who he is. Ameri- I, I don't know him, American but I, I know of him. Yes. Yeah, I had never spoken to him before. We, sp- we talked for about two hours last night. It's on the podcast. And um, what were his criticisms of the of the, the movie? No, it was it was it was specifically of stuff you and I had covered at Occupy Wall Street, specifically the rape coverage. And oh. uh, for those for those who don't remember, Brandon and I broke the story that there were rapes and sexual assaults going on at 
Occupy Wall Street. And what he said was, he said he didn't think it was fair that we were implying that the rapes were, you know, part of the, uh, you know, uh, inherent part of the Occupy movement or ideologically based. And I, I told him, I said, it, it, was a, it was a, by the way, Brandon's apparently entered a large cafeteria. So it sounds like. I'm on the border and I have to, I have to keep functioning while we talk. Yeah, right. No, I know. So, um, so what I told him was, I said, look, I said, we, we had, I said, I think there was a systemic aspect to the rapes that were happening. I said, Brandon had predicted to me months before when Occupy started, he said, there's going to be rapes because they, they run security in an egalitarian way. They don't run security by putting the big, strong guys. They put the five-foot lesbians. This is what you told me. You remember this, right? Well, and I, I and, actually uh, wrote a piece about it prior called Occupy Wall Street Unsafe for Women. And um, right. I, I, had come, I, I publicly wrote about it, and I said that systemic, because of systemic issues and an inability to learn, and you look at the past experiences that have happened every time these groups have joined together in this large way, um, I said that, thank you, I said that it makes it inevitable that it's going to happen again. And, um, and it actually happened again. So I think, it, I think it was very fair. Yeah, no, and that's what I said. I said, what were, I, and I told him how it came up. I said, we, got, we didn't go like, I said, well, I had heard stories. And then when we got there, we were given a tour by a girl who's a tour guide. And at the end of it, we just asked her, have there been sexual assaults? And she was immediately like, oh, yeah, there have been this happened and this happened, this other thing happened. And then we reported it. And I said the reason we reported it was because we didn't want more sexual assaults to happen. And, uh, and uh, so, but I told him, I said, I understand from, uh, I said, that was what happened. I said, now, are we, are we not supposed to report on that? Uh, or are we supposed to say, Oh, no, well, it has nothing to do with, with it. Because I said, I think it does. I said, you know, I interviewed a homeless guy in Berkeley who told me the people running the camp, uh, the, running the Occupy camp, anybody in. And they're like, well, we can't kick these homeless people out. And he said, well, they're dangerous. They said, well, we can't. So, I mean, <clears throat> I guess the, the reason I bring that up is because I think, you know, we do get hit with, these charges of bias all the time. And yet when, I, when I talked to Michael, I think he saw my point. I don't know if he agreed with it, but at least he saw that it was not just like, we weren't just wacky, you know? <laughs> we, now, if there was a, a gathering we, of tea partiers in a, a 50-yard by 40-yard park, and there were systemic rapes of things, and the embedded journalist did not report that. If, if, dude, are you kidding me? What that would do, and how big of a deal that would be to people. But because it was a left of center movement, and because it was the New York Times and other left of center outlets who were not reporting it, uh, then it was somehow not a big deal, or it wasn't fair, and it wasn't okay. But imagine that there was a Tea Party gathering that had multiple sexual assaults, including the assault of a deaf person remember that and yeah. imagine that we were embedded the whole time obviously knew about it and just didn't report it we would be filleted and fried into little catfish strips or something you know served with 
with like vinegar and potato chips or fries. I mean, we'd be screwed and we'd be over. And, and, but for some reason it was okay for them to not report what they obviously knew. Well, and what I told him was, I said, I think it's part of a, I said, people on the right have a frustration because I think they feel knowing history the way that they do, that a lot of things get shoved under the carpet. I brought up the example of Huey P. Newton, Black Panther, who killed a 17-year-old prostitute and then ordered another witness murdered, right? Now, when I see specials in the Black Panthers, they never mention that, never ever. And I said that happens on like a granular level. That's one guy. But I said on a big level, what do you hear more about, Nazi atrocities or Soviet Union atrocities? And... It's not even close. You hear a lot more. By the way, the Nazis, you know, why do I have to say this? The Nazis were bad, but the Soviets actually killed more, and so did the Chinese. And you you don't hear about that. And I said, I think it's for ideological reasons. And I said, a lot of people on the right feel that way, too. So when we see something like Occupy happening and the media is not reporting it, yeah, it does feel like a cover up, right? I mean, and you know what I'm getting at. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's a – you're hiding the truth of something. That's a cover-up to me. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. I think that's a fair – I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair thing to call it. You know, man, I, I'm just so accustomed to, you know, getting back to the awards or whatever. I'm just so accustomed to the, the – the treatment, you know, I'm so accustomed to the double standards. I'm so accustomed at this point. I, I don't, I don't even worry about it, man. You know, it's like, here's something that to blow everybody's mind. Here's something that I learned from a former mentor back in my leftist days. He was a, a black Panther. His name was Malik Rahim. And he would say, Brandon, the former Panther, he'd say, Brandon, there's always going to be these people, man. Just, you just keep doing the good work and other people will defend you and defend your work. You just keep doing the good work. Keep your head on the job you're doing, and don't worry about those people. And, you know, that advice has really helped me. I never realized I'd have to use it to deal with, you know, offensive comments from the league, you know, himself and from other people on the left like I did. But but it's how I go about it, man. Like right now, I'm on the border. I'm, um, you know, we're going to hit five sectors in the next week and do great work, and, um, you know, if I spent my time worrying about the double standards that journalists and their award groups have, I, I, I could be really upset, but instead, I'm out here trying to bring a voice to not only the Border Patrol agents, but also to the people in northern Mexico, you know, who are living in the most abject oppression I've ever seen, and um, uh, even more so than in Venezuela. You know, when you look at what's really going on in their lives with the cartels and the cartel control uh, of their media, of their streets, of their police, of their government. Of, you know, it's, it's like uh, I'm over here trying to bring a voice to these people, and, and I feel good about it. You know, like I feel great about what, what we're getting to do as a company and what I'm doing with my time. And, and if other journalists want to be ugly and not recognize that, um, you know, whatever, go right ahead. Like, don't recognize it. We don't, you know, we don't really need them. We have so many readers now and we've grown. We don't need other journalists to recognize what we do. It's helpful. Like, like Jake Tapper tweeted out one of my cartel stories and it was, it was very helpful that he did that. And I appreciate that, you know, but 
that do we really need, you know, people at the WAPO or people at, uh, you know, at whoever makes decisions on the, the Pulitzer, do we need them to like us? No, we really don't in order for us to have an effect, you know. We're talking to Brandon Darby. He's down on the border right now. Brandon, could you stay, stick around for a couple minutes? There's a caller I want to get to in a second, and I just need to do a, a break here. It's 44 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Radio Strand. You know that if Andrew Breitbart left these guys, the loony left is going to hate them. You're listening to Brandon Darby and Lee Stranahan. Do you watch the news and find yourself thinking, I can do better than this? If you know how bad the mainstream media is and you want to make media that's better than they are, I started Citizen Journalism School just for you. CitizenJournalismSchool.com will give you the information and allow you to sign up for the free mailing list and get our free course, Building Your Own Media Empire. But I want to tell you about a program that is for people who are serious about a career in journalism. If you really want to make a difference, we have a program called the Citizen Journalism School Mentorship Program, where you work directly with me, one-on-one and in small group settings. And the best part is it's a fraction of the cost of journalism school. Go to citizenjournalismschool.com right now to get more information. Citizenjournalismschool.com. You're listening to Radio Stranahan. Call us. Six one nine nine two four oh seven eight six. Number again. Six one nine nine two four oh seven eight six. We have Brandon Darby on the line, my friend and colleague at Breitbart. And as you heard there before, obviously uh, both of us were. Andrew Breitbart was. It's fair to say Andrew Breitbart was our mentor on the right as we moved from the left. But we have a caller in the three zero one area code. Let me see if I can get the appropriate button press. Hi, caller. You're on the air. You're on with Brandon. Hi, 301. You're on. I'm going to try. Hi, caller. Maybe someone's just listening. I can't tell. Okay. Yeah, they, they hunt. We we had somebody and I think I scared them, Brandon. I think I scared them. That's before, okay. I mean, you scared me before too. I know it happened. Well, it's that thing about walking in naked that you just talked about. You didn't tell people that was a true story. Now here's the thing, Brandon. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, before you came on. Actually, I was talking about the story about the Russian hacking allegations. And right. I had a clip with Glenn Greenwald, and Glenn Greenwald was saying. He's been called an agent of the Kremlin every single day because he's simply saying, I don't buy what the government's trying to sell me on this. Now, Brandon, have you been called an agent of the Kremlin recently by anyone who, let's say, failed presidential I have. I have. have. I forgot the guy's name. I I always think – I thought of him today, actually. It's funny that you just said that. I'm actually – I'm I'm pulled over in the parking lot of a McDonald's to do this interview, and – that's McDonald's is how I remember his name. Yeah, Mick, Mick Mullen. Um, Mick Mullen, that's his name. He called me a um, – he didn't say it. He said I criticized him for something he was doing, and he said 
on social media, and so he quotes it and responds back and says something about my friends in Moscow, <laughs> like implying that I'm a spy. And I was like, dude, really? You know? So it's yeah. kind of funny. And, and that, was a, that was a back and forth. And so you working for Breitbart, he accused you of being an a, a agent of Moscow. And so what do you think? You've been following. You and I have talked about this before off the air. But what do you think about what's going on with these allegations of Russian hacking? Um, what do I think, honestly? Um, yeah. I think, yeah. Here's what I think. I think that Russia and the U.S. always are kind of hacking around each other. I think China has hacked us a lot more from what I can gather just from the, the amount of prosecutions and, and things that we've seen. Um, I think that nation states spy on each other as always. And I think that there's probably no more of that going on now than there was in the past, but because the Democrats lost and because uh, a few people in the CIA and in the intelligence community want to continue with Obama's plan in Syria, I think what they're doing is trying to uh, take the spying and the normal stuff that always goes on between nation states uh, and act like it's something new and big that just happened. And they're trying to make it, uh, impossible for Trump to reverse course or change the direction that U.S. intelligence community is going in um, or our foreign policy is going in uh, without there being extreme political, uh, you know, like now if Trump says, hey, we're going to work with Russia in the Middle East, all of a sudden they're going to be like, see, he's siding with Russia over our people, you see, and, and I think that's what they're doing. I, now, do you agree with me that this is a really dangerous situation? I have never seen anything like it where a president on his way out in the lame duck phase is literally uh, trying to poison the well on foreign policy for an incoming president, especially when, let's face it, our Syria policy has been a disaster. It has, there's no way you can say it's worked. There's no sense in which our Syria policies work. Do you, do you agree with me that this is dangerous or – Am I of course it's dangerous. I mean, I think it's extremely dangerous to, like, whip up, whip up anti, you know, anti-large nuclear power sentiment, like, um, for political purposes. I think it's very dangerous. You know, I'm, I'm of the mindset, man, and, I mean, I know a lot of people on the left hate me because of my politics, and a lot of people on the right do, too. I'm of the mindset that instead of spending so much money overseas, we should spend some of it back home and, in our, and, and uh, actually do something about Mexico and do something for our farmers and for education and for inner cities and for rural communities. And I, I tend, you know, I'm, I'm obviously on the right, but I also have very strong populist leanings when it comes to, to helping other people. So, I, I, you know, my, my idea on governmental aid is, is like, yes, I would like to see local control. Yes, I would like to see people helped outside of the, in the private sector and outside of the public sector. Um, but if, if we're not doing it, then, then, then it's going to, out of necessity, become something that the, that the government does, you know, and that's on us. And that's how I look at that. And, and so that, that, that is where I start to uh, bump heads a little bit with people on the right. I'm all excited about not having a bunch of bang wars all over the place and, and our men and women, um, our heroes not coming back with their limbs blown off or dead. Like, I'm, I'm very excited about that concept that we're not um, in every bad situation possible that we might not necessarily need to be. Um, 
and, and that we have resources for our own infrastructure. I'm very excited about that. So it, it sounds not only is it scary that people are trying to whip up uh, another Cold War, but it's also just very unproductive. You know, it's unproductive when someone is, you finally get a Republican who's really going to focus on inner cities and really wants to focus on all these issues. And, and you finally get that. And now these are like turning it into something where, where we're not going to have any resources for back home because they want to, they want to build up, uh, you know, soldiers around Russia. Now, are you seeing any equivalent? You deal with the border issues and immigration. Are you seeing any sort of last-minute tantrum-throwing executive orders, anything like that on immigration from the president that may be flying under the radar? Um, uh, I, I do see some stuff going on, and I'm actually writing about it. Um, and I don't, want to t- I don't want to say it because I don't think anybody else realizes it's going on. So I want to, I want to write about it, you know? <laughs> But but you're saying that I don't want to say it on your radio on. show because then someone will hear it and write about it. <laughs> but yeah, sure I, see, they, I see a few sure things going on. I, I see a few things. Yeah. Happening. Now, also, you work very closely with the border patrol agents down there. What is their mood? We're three weeks out, less than three weeks out from Donald Trump coming in. Do you get any sense of their mood about that? About the change in administrations? Uh, I, well, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, I took, I took a man who's now, uh, gosh, now he's a, a U.S. house rep from District 19 in Texas, uh, West Texas. I took him down to the border, uh, after he won the primary and I took him down and I showed him the border in the Laredo sector. And he said, you know what's really weird, Brandon? And I said, what's that? His name's Jody Arrington. And um, I said, what's that, Jody? And he said, you meet law enforcement. They're always, like, very assertive, and their heads are held high. And all of these Border Patrol agents just kind of have their head hung low. They're looking at the ground. And I said, yeah, they've had the crap kicked out of them for eight years. Yeah. That's how that's how it that's what it looks like when someone's done wrong for eight years and has no power and no voice to change it. And and I don't see that anymore, buddy. I see a lot of encouraged border patrol agents and I I personally feel like that was a big success of Breitbart News and of Steve Bannon and of me and my team, um, was making sure that, you know, we set out very verbally that we're gonna make sure these border patrol agents have a voice and that their voices are heard. And it, it actually worked out that way, you know? And is there any sense that illegal immigration is picking up prior? Are more people coming across the border? Is there any sense yes, of that? they are coming across. More people are crossing to get across before Trump takes over, 100%. So that's absolutely happening. So they're very aware that the, that the border is going to start to shut down. Now, one final question. I appreciate you taking the time today, Brandon. It's always great talking to you. One final question. It's about the wall. Do you think that that was election hype? Do you think that Donald Trump really means it? Is there really going to be a wall? And do you think it's going to be effective if there is? Um, I think that there are going to be portions of a wall, just like you said during the campaign. Uh, where it's needed, and I think that it will be effective provided 
that it is it is done with additional measures. Uh, in itself, it will not do any good. If our current policy is all you have to do is show up on the soil and you get to stay, if you're from any nation other than Mexico or Canada, the wall's not going to do any damn good. Um, if, if our current policy is all they have to do is get in the river and say they're drowning, and then we have to rescue them and bring them to the U.S. soil, and then they can say they want asylum and we have to let them stay, the wall's not going to do any damn good. If you, if you do the wall... In addition to doing the wall, um, uh, and I say the wall, meaning, of course, figuratively, it's probably going to be fencing portions. And if you, if you do that, you erect physical barriers in the areas where agents feel they need it. If you also change the policy, if you also bolster resources to the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office to properly prosecute um, uh, people who commit crimes crossing the border, bolster resources to the FBI to make sure that the, the on public corruption problems are, are not allowed to get out of hand <clears throat> and you couple that with going after the cartels in Mexico you are going to see a secure border there you go Brandon Darby thanks for joining us stay safe down there Brandon people can look for Brandon Darby's work on the Breitbart Texas section of Breitbart News and you say you have some stuff that's going to be coming out in the next uh, week or so right people should look for that's correct that's right, buddy. There you, um, there you, you should, go, Brandon. You should Darby. always look at my Twitter stream, and you should always go to, to Breitbart, Texas. Our border coverage is second to none. Um, our cartel coverage is all that's out there that you can read. Um, that 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 we're doing good stuff, and we're proud of it. It's stuff that I think Andrew would be very proud of. We don't. We generally avoid politics, and we just cover narratives and issues. And um, and I, I think that. You know, I think that that it, if you want to know what's going really going on on the border, uh, you know, I think that I think coming to Breitbart, Texas, is the place to, is the way to go. There you go, Brandon. To everyone, thanks a lot, Brandon. All right. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you bet. Radio Strada. <laughs> there you go, the great Brandon Darby calling in from the border. You could hear the border. It's a loud border. I'll tell you this. I'm not sure about the wall, but if they could enjoy, if they could put up some uh, giant uh, egg cartons, perhaps, egg crates, some sort of acoustic baffling, maybe, on the border, I think that's clearly necessary. we got a big week of shows. That's almost it for today's show. I was happy to get one caller, and then I was sad that they just sort of ran away after I tried to call on them. But you can call again tomorrow, 619-924-0786. Hey, if you've not subscribed to the Stranahan Report, it's absolutely free. Go to www.stranahan.com. Go to the website, sign up. The Stranahan Report every morning early, about by 8 o'clock Eastern time, 7 o'clock Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific time. Every morning, I bring you the top headlines. That's it. You've been listening to Radio Strand, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.